Well, good evening to another Sunday evening broadcast from Park End Church. The surroundings have changed again. You know why. So I'm without my team this week. So apologies for any technical difficulties and for any screaming wild children that you might hear or encounter uh, during this evening slot. Last week we looked at Psalm 23. History written in advance, David's got his eyes on Jesus and Jesus going through the valley of the shadow of death and returning home. This week we're going to Psalm 24, which is so important for this planet right now, which is suddenly aware of two things. God has shaken the world in two ways, I think. Number one, the world is now realizing again that it's not in control and that its uh, people are just blades of grass. Um, we don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. The second thing that God is shaking us out of is thinking that we're not going to die because we're hearing so much news about people who are dying. And in that, we get the great message tonight that Jesus is in control. That's the heart of the Christian message. And that's good news for everyone on planet Earth because he does a better job of being in control than we do. And we don't need to die. Jesus says, doesn't he? If you believe in me, you won't taste death. Your body will just fall asleep. I've got death handled. Trust me. And you will live eternal life, which could start this evening on this church broadcast. So welcome to the Park End uh, Evening Sunday Broadcast. So without further ado, let's please turn to Psalm 24. And it'll come up on the screen, I hope. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Selah, or pause. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors. The King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. <clears throat> Amazing words, not about David. David isn't just blogging about his day or his experiences. David is filled with the Holy Spirit and he has his eyes on his future Messiah and what the future Messiah is going through. And that's why this is a blessing to everyone watching tonight, whatever your age, background or creed. 
when we get our eyes focused on someone else greater than David, our lives will be transformed in an instant. David is looking towards someone who then brings a bride along with him to a place the other side of sin, death, Satan, evil, illnesses, anxieties about coronavirus, all of that. Jesus is going there and leading his people with him. So this psalm is incredible uh, this evening. Now, question. Um, if any children watching, draw a massive box with angels on top of it. Just do it and send them in after. Send them into our social media pages. There was this thing in the ancient church called the Ark of the Covenant. And you've probably seen it or heard about it if you've watched the Indiana Jones films. Basically, the ancient church used to meet in a giant tent called the Tabernacle. And about two thirds of the way through, there was a blocking off. And the other side of the tent, uh, the other side of the blocking off was where God would visit and basically sit on that box, that ark. And the people would wait outside and then a priest would go in, bring the messages of the people to God. And then the priest would return back to the people with messages from God. And the priest was basically acting like Jesus, passing messages on to the Father God. So it was a box with a lid, two angels on it, made of gold, and the angel of the Lord would visit, the Father by the Spirit would visit, surround the tent. Back up to Exodus chapter 40, 33 to 38. This is the origins of all of that stuff. This is um, classic Moses theology. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tent, the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and the fire was uh, in the cloud by night, and this in the sight of all the Israelites during all of their travels. Right. Um, dear viewers, think about something great returning home. Just take a moment there. Think about a story in your life where something or someone has returned home and it's been quite a good event. Um, in my last church, um, quite a few of my members have stolen my pens um, because I used to give them out for people to make notes. They didn't give them back, they swiped them. And some of them are watching tonight and they know who they are and they're incredibly guilty. And what would be lovely if my pens one day would make a triumphant return home so I could actually start writing stuff down on bits of paper again. Um, when I was inducted in the new church, I didn't leave the old church over the pen issue, though perhaps it wasn't a factor. But in this new one, um, in my induction, someone in the talk said, Owen has come home because I was born and raised in this part of Cardiff. So I know the streets, I'm back with my friends and my family. 
uh, where I used to live, there used to be a swimming pool um, at the end of the street and it got knocked down and people in the valley would say things like, when that swimming pool returns to the valley, that'll be a great day. That sort of amazing return. The, what's interesting is, mine, the swimming pool closed because hardly anybody went. It's a bit like when churches close, isn't it? Everybody's like, oh, that's sad. That bit of nostalgia is gone. It's like, well, you, perhaps you should have gone and then the place wouldn't close. Anyway, so for that valley, the swimming pool returning. Um, but when I do get my pens back or when that swimming pool does return, it's not really going to impact that many people. Not on a worldwide scale. In Psalm 24, we have the returning home of someone and it has such an impact, it can save us tonight. Save us from sin, save us from godlessness, save us from despair, worry, save us from the other side of the COVID-19 virus or save us from fretting about what do I do tomorrow when I wake up? How do I govern my relationships? The return of this figure of Psalm 24 actually affects all of us tonight. And David, who wrote it, and Moses are sort of doing a double act here. Uh, David is sort of feeding off ancient church theology because it's all about, and it's rooted in Moses, someone going up and that brings hope, literally hope, which impacts us in our day-to-day -day lives. Something goes up or someone goes up, that's great news for the church. What is it? All right, here comes Numbers chapter 10. Moses used to say this kind of thing when that box, that ark, that seat of the king was raised up. Listen to this, Numbers 10, 35. Whenever the ark set out, Moses said, Rise up, Lord. May your enemies be scattered. May your foes flee before you. Whenever it came to rest, he said, Return, Lord, to the countless thousands of Israel. Moses, when he saw that box raised, was like, Ah, that's a symbol of my Messiah in whom I trust and have given everything in Egypt to follow. My Christ, he's rising and the church is following on, right? So that's being taught in the ancient church life. David comes to pen this one. And some people argue that, and you, here's some homework for you. I won't bring this up. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 29 to 16, verse 3, it's a story about when the ark is being brought back to Jerusalem after being time of uh, after a time of being away, and David arguably wrote Psalm 24 when that Lord was returning to the city of his father, where his father was in Jerusalem. So, our church forefather, King David, loves ascension symbolism. So did Moses, and so do Park End in 2020, because the Lord rises above pain, sadness, sorrow, sin, decay. And right now you live next door to people, perhaps it's you even, perhaps they're in your house, who need someone who can rise above sin, decay, 
sadness, fear, anxiety. We need someone like that every single day, actually, and we're realizing it now more than ever. We need to trust that person. So, more homework. The Moses thing, David expands on that in Psalm 68 as well, which is all about Jesus ascending. You read that this week. Um, so there's massive symbolism here in this prophetic psalm about someone who in Psalm 22 was brutally butchered to death. In Psalm 23 goes through that shadowy path and then returns back to the house of the Lord. That's what the original says, returns. So that's not David, is it? And then, just to say about returning, actually, some people think this is about David talking about himself returning to the temple. The temple hadn't even been written yet. We get to Psalm 24, and it's about a man returning to his rightful home, enthroned as king in his human nature. Who could that be? So with that in mind, here's verse 1 and 2 again. May it thrill us all. To you I call... Oh, that's Psalm 28. I'm on the wrong page. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Here's a message from the Lord to all of the viewers tonight. Everything in this world belongs to the God of the Bible. Trinity Father, Son, and Spirit, to the living God. Jesus made it all, that's what Colossians says. And as you read through the Bible, actually every member of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, had a hand in making everything you see around it. And modern people are like, no way, that didn't happen. It's like, if you get rid of that, everything just collapses, particularly at a time like this when we, when we need hope. Um, I've got a friend, and uh, my friend's quite influential over children, and my friend tells me that I mustn't indoctrinate children with that idea that Jesus created everything. So my friend teaches children that it just sort of happened, and there's no Jesus, he's not Lord, he's not risen, screaming children, who created them. And my friend is like, oh, and you're indoctrinating people. I'm like, hang on, you telling people that Jesus doesn't create everything you see around us is also indoctrination. You can't get away from teaching or indoctrinating, teaching doctrine in one form or another. And I don't know where you stand tonight in the midst of this chaotic world, but Psalm 24 and the whole Bible lays out, you've got one of two choices, really. You either choose the miracle that everything you see around us was just from the virgin birth of a cosmos, whereby nothing preceded it, not matter, nothing, or there was eternal particles, which already puts you in the realm of believing in eternal stuff, which is interesting, isn't it? You could believe that, or you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. That's what my friend said, Glenn Scrivener. You choose your miracle, virgin birth of the cosmos, or virgin birth of Jesus, and what comes with that package is that when we get to Psalm 24 tonight, we trust and believe that he went on to say, yeah, he made it all. He's the great I am. He was everlasting to everlasting. Anything eternal, before even particles and matter, is the Trinity. It's Father, Son, and Spirit. And I'm laboring that point because tonight, 
uh, we're really asking who is in control of what's going on? Who's before it? Who's going to outlast it? Who's trustworthy? If I'm going to stake my hope on some advice during this period of complete unsettledness or live a sort of ethical code and stick by it, well, who's writing that code? Who is dictating? Who can be trusted? I'll be honest, I haven't earned the right to call the shots on how people should live, on how people should think during this time on planet Earth, during this time of insecurity and worry. I am not the central figure of my worldview, and you'll be crushed if you are, if there's nothing else than just you. It just lays it out. You don't need to deal with that sort of existential anxiety. Jesus is Lord. He knows what's going on. You can talk to him about it tonight. The psalm goes on. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. He will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Saviour. Children, you've drawn the Ark of the Covenant. Now draw one worthy person walking up a hill to heaven. As we're all feeling frail at this time, or maybe you've slipped into complete cocky arrogance and just blotted your frailty out, wherever we are, here's a question. If we are frail and we are being called and reminded that we're going to be called to die and there is a Lord and we are going to stand before him and the standard to get into the world of bliss, the other side of this fallen world, is perfection, who can get there? Who? Who can ascend the hill of the Lord to where God the Father is? where he can't even look at impurity, or sin, or death, or decay. Who can defeat enemies like that? Who can handle life's problems in such a way that he can sort them out to the point where he can just ascend then to heaven? Everything put back in order. Who's ready for that? Who is acceptable to rise up and sit next to the Father on the throne in glory. Um, spoiler alert, it's not Owen Batstone, it's no member of Park End, it's Jesus. Now, so many people are doing good works on planet Earth at the moment, and it's amazing. Christian, non-Christian, people are pulling together to do good works, and it's a massive part of being made in the image of God, and it's amazing. Um, I'm so thankful to the Lord, and all that stuff going on with the NHS and the bravery, we're so thankful for it. But, if our aim is perfection, even that stuff's not going to cut it on the last day, is it? No, it's good, but it's not perfect. See, the problem is it's sinful people doing good stuff, but still within the realm of sort of sinful people trying to sin pay for sin uh, debts that sinful people have accumulated. Um, for example, if I was brought before a judge and I had broken a law somewhere in my life and the judge had flagged up, I couldn't appeal 
to good things I'd done elsewhere and say, look, I helped a granny across the road. Can you let me off uh, how nasty I was once to my wife or something? He's not going to go, ah, yeah, you did that. So that's all right. It doesn't work like that, does it? It's a sinful person, done something good, but still within from the realm of sort of fallen short of the standard of the law. And so who can properly earn the right to have confidence that if they're struck dead right now, they'd be instantly in heaven on the merits of their own good performance? Who has earned the sinless life? Who has earned that merit? That's what Psalm 24 causes us tonight to ask. Um, if it were me, a lot of people would have a problem with God the Father for letting me in and winking at my sin. Who can properly live the good life? I was watching a video the other day and a man was preaching this sort of stuff and a woman got really angry in the crowd and shouted, stop preaching that sort of stuff. Stop preaching at us. Give more to the poor, adopt more orphans, and help more people with their homework. <laughs> it was an interesting last one. But it's like, basically, the Christian message, shut up about that sin stuff and not being good enough for heaven. Get on doing good works. And the guy replied, it was really interesting what the guy uh, replied. Because he could have said, Actually, statistically, if you look at churches, they do donate to more causes worldwide than any other organization. They do give more to the poor than any other organization. They do adopt more children than non-Christian families do, just statistically. And they have helped build schools and orphanages. So that is sort of helping people with their homework, kind of invertently, isn't it? Or maybe giving people homework. Perhaps not. That's all right. We'll leave that aside. That would have been a good answer. But actually, he did one better. And he said this. Do you know what? You're right. I don't do enough of that stuff. No one does. I don't give enough of my wealth to other people. I'm not selfless enough. Then he said, do you? There was a really interesting pause and quietness. And then he said, can we all just agree? by our own standards of what we should be doing. We've even fallen short of that. Um, it gets interesting because the Bible says there was a time where humans were good enough. And the Bible even says there was a time when Satan, the prince of evil, who was a fallen angel, he was once good enough to just walk in and out of the company of God. He didn't have this wall of decay or sin around him, he could just earn the right and walk around. And the next passage is coming up now. It's Ezekiel 28, 11 to 15. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre. Now the king of Tyre is a really interesting character. Who is he? And say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adored you. And then he lists complicated stones. And the only one I couldn't pronounce is turquoise and beryl. You can say it at home. Your settings and mountains were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed 
as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You are on the holy mount. There it is again, see, the hill of the Lord. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. And I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. That's a striking passage, isn't it? I think going off my head in the King James version of that, it even lists some musical instruments that the King of Tyre used to be in charge of and operate. Perhaps that's why music is so powerful, um, powerfully used for evil sometimes and powerfully used by God for good. But that's a different sermon. Um, so Satan fell. You know the story of Genesis 3. We fell as well. So who now can just swan back into the presence of the Father. Who can have hope in 2020? Verse 4, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. Park End, my hands, they're stained with sin. My heart is stained with selfish, sinful motives. But the keys of hope are not in my hands. They've been given to someone else. Verse 5, he, that person, will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, his saviour. There is one who rises to heaven and God the Father saves him from the hold of death because when death stings people, if you've got sin, that's what it uses to latch onto you. And it's like, I've claimed you now. You're separate from God and life and hope forever because you have unforgiven sin and that cannot enter the presence of the Father. So death tried to sting Jesus, as we heard last week. But because there was no sin in him, the Father rescued him, says in Romans, doesn't it? Um, and raised him by the Spirit from death. Up he then goes above being saved or rescued from false accusations about who he was, the lies that people told about who he was. He was proved and saved from that stuff to be the Son of God, the Lord's anointed Christ. And so with that in mind, with him being saved and risen, we get to verse 6, where the rest of us just sort of tag along. That's the hope tonight. Here's verse 6. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Pause. So that's where church comes in. And we're told to do two things tonight. Whatever state we're in, seek the one who this psalm's been talking about, that man, that blessed person, and... The one who he brings us to, his God. That's what that verse encourages us to do. Seek him and his God. You never get Jesus without the Father. You never get the Father without the Son. You never get them without the power of the Holy Spirit. And church, when we seek the living God, shares in the blessings that Jesus receives 
from his father. That's Psalm 133, which is Park End's current favourite um, verse. We preach and love the one who has pure hands and a pure heart. Tonight, we turn to him with our worries, our sins, our problems, our issues, our lives. I'm not teaching ethics, and I never will. I'm not teaching morals, and I never will. I'm teaching and preaching a person who's alive. And yes, when you love him, your sort of ethical life and morals will align themselves to what he wants and what his Holy Bible wants. But before any of that, we're preaching this risen, pure man, sharing in the blessings of the Father and just pouring them out on church life tonight. We get to tell God tonight about our worries about the corona virus. No wonder it says pause at that. The ancient church would be like, just, just take a moment, stop the tambourines a second and dwell on that. Put Twitter down and dwell on that. Do something with that. And then to close, verse 7 to 10, it's just this heavenly welcome. The search for the pure man has been successful. He's been found and he's coming home. And they spot him coming, don't they? They all get ready. Seven, lift up your heads or your gates be lifted up, you ancient doors. It's the cry from the throne room, isn't it? The king of glory is coming in the return, he's back. He's ascended and he's beaten evil. Coming back to things returning home. Sometimes Rita on the way back from work sends me a text, put the oven on. It's like, yes, not long until she returns and we have chicken nuggets for tea. It's a massive deal. Chicken Nuggets. Why is that so exciting? Because welcome back parties are like built in us. We just have joy with a welcome back party. They're one of the best things we can experience. We're built to enjoy them. But we're built for something even better than the great chicken nugget. To enjoy something better than that. There's a party that goes on even better than that party at five o'clock in the Batstone household. And it's the one where the King of Kings returned back to glory because there was a greater impact for planet Earth when that happened. What is it? Verse 8. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Park End. We're not worth following we're not worth trusting wholeheartedly. We prove that every day. He is. He's the king of glory. And we're to turn tonight from ourselves to him. Why is Jesus the only way to heaven? The answer to that is because he is heaven. He is. He is full of the life that we were designed to know and enjoy. It's relationship with him. Even if we get the virus, in that suffering, we can know heaven on earth because we're made for something more than health. We're made to taste and see that the Lord, the heavenly Lord, is good. 
I remember when the atheist Christopher Hitchens was having an interview just before he died, and he said, heaven would be hell for me. And actually, according to Psalm 24, he's right. There's nothing there for him. He rejected Jesus. But church tonight, we revel in that. There's nothing better. All of the saints and angels here just gathering around, open the doors, he's coming back. And tonight, as we lay down our heads later on, we think the strong and mighty Lord is there. He does care. He is reigning. We see the other side of death, and it's Jesus. He had the brutality of Psalm 22, that crucifixion psalm. He's beaten evil. He's defeated death and decay. And in him we live forever. Open the gates for him. And we close with verse 10. Who is he, this king of glory, the Lord Almighty? He is the king of glory. And to close, the New Testament tries its best in a little verse to try and capture all of that mosaic and Davidic truth. And it says this in Ephesians 4 verse 10. He who descended, came down, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Viewers, Jesus is Lord. He's full. He's maximally righteous and divine. All resources, honour and glory are his. He reigns tonight and forever shall reign. Let's repent, turn towards him, seek him, bow to him and live. I thank you for joining us on Sunday, 6 p.m. for this broadcast on Psalm 22. And we'll see you all throughout the week for more.